they will never again be put to shame for having trusted in me, for having been called my people. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Awet Andamikael, Associate Dean for Marquand Chapel and Lecturer in Theology, and Adam Idle, Assistant Professor of Ethics. They're discussing Joel chapter 2, verses 23 through 32, which is appointed for track 1 of the 20th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 25, in year C. The text is read for you by student Aidan Stoddart. Joel chapter 2, verses 23 through 32. O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early rain and the later rain, as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army that I sent against you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I, the Lord, am your God, and there is no other, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Then afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves, in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. I will show portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Well, something that's stood out in this passage that hasn't always stood out to me, it's the word shame. We see it twice, starting in verse 26, and my people shall never again be put to shame. And then once again in verse 27, and my people shall never again be put to shame. I know of, a, of an old book. It's a bit of a classic in contemporary philosophy by Bernard Williams on shame and ancient Greco-Roman culture. I know enough about it, though, to note that shame here and the Hebrew term behind it is importantly different than what's meant there by shame. And what we mean by shame is probably different. But I'm wondering, Awet, do you have any, any sense for what is being described here in this verse? Why is it so important that the, the author has to emphasize once and then again, that the people of God will never be put to shame. 
It's a good question. I'm sort of going back and forth in my mind between what would have been the context of the people of Israel having gone through so much in, in their in, sort of in the in the history that's recounted in the Hebrew Bible that you know, Joel, the prophet Joel is referring to. And even if we're thinking as from a contemporary perspective, the way the, the global Jewish communities through more recent and up to present history have gone through so much and have been made to suffer in so many ways. And thinking about the ways in which this idea of God bringing forth a restoration and kind of, how do I say it? I guess I think about the being put to shame here along the lines of having their trust in God confirmed. Mm. So that it's, a, if, you know, if you trust in me, you will never be, never be put to shame. But then when you trust in God for a particular outcome, you trust that God will be faithful to God's people. And then a mishap happens or utter catastrophe happens. It, it prompts the theodicy, you know, of the, the attempt to try and understand how it is that this could be, that the God could be just, and yet this this horrible thing could happen. And I, I guess I'm thinking along those lines in this particular context. I guess I'm reading this less about personal shame, as in I'm ashamed of what I've done or I'm experiencing shame, but more that they will never again be put to shame for having trusted in me, for having been called my people. But in fact, you know, the name of Israel, the people of Israel, the nation that is beloved to God, uh, nation kind of broadly, I don't mean sort of political entity, mm. but just kind of that the, the, this, this people and this um, cultural group that God set apart for a particular purpose would never be put to shame because the fact that they are chosen would be, and, and that their purpose for being chosen would be for the glory of the world, you know, for the benefit of the world, that all of this would be made clear and would be vindicated in, in an ultimate way. I guess that's how I think about yeah. uh, what it means, especially if it says never again be put to shame. It has a sort of eschatological implication, yeah. which the whole passage does, obviously. Yeah, that's how I would read that particular. I think that's really illuminating. It's helpful. I, As I was listening to you, I was just thinking more about the notion of shame Mm. It, you know, it entails a kind of exposure. I think of it connoting being subject to public mockery, scorn, rebuke. It doesn't necessarily entail having you know having done something wrong, but it it but there's a kind of exposure, a kind of vulnerability, a kind of being laid bare. And here God is saying to this people that, and in this moment that you've, I think really helpfully described, there will be a day where you will not be put to shame, where the possibility of that social reality, that political reality, but the, the very real and intensely personal anguish that emerges out of it will be extinguished. It will be, it will be itself brought to an end. And what I'm impressed by is just as I'm continuing to look here at the passage is not even what it's the repetition of, of this line, my people should never be put to shame, but what comes between it. Yeah. You shall be, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord, your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And in this context of, of satisfaction, of fullness, of wondrous gratitude, the, the shame of what has come before or the possibility of, of being put to shame will be will be eclipsed. It'll be it will be permanently 
eclipsed. And then the second thing, and I, and you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, am your God and there is no other. On the one hand, the context for the end of shame is on the one hand, a kind of fullness, a kind of gratitude for what God has done. But it's not just that, it's also a a full awareness of not just what God has done, but of God's perfect presence yeah. in the midst mm-hmm. of the people. It's, you know, what are, what are you, what are you, what is so, there are wondrous things have happened, but how wondrous is it that God is in the midst of Israel, is there? Um, it, you know, kind of harks back in my mind, which has been formed by ancient and medieval exegetes. It, to me, it harks back a bit to the garden where, where we see God walking in the cool of day with the, the first human beings. And all of this is sort of torn asunder. Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. They're, they're no longer enjoying these midday strolls. <laughs> in the, or mid, I don't know what time of day it's meant to be, but it's in the cool of the day, isn't it? In the cool it? of day, so it must be sadly. Yeah, midday. but there's this kind <laughs> of... Yeah, it's not yeah. midday. I mean, the, the the little time I spend in the Middle East, I can say the midday. It's is not. It's not midday. Cool right? No, it's not the. Yeah, that's the day time of what I forget which song calls it the noonday devil. But yeah, that's the. But right, it's the cool of the day, and there's this kind of reunion, this kind of of well, to reference Irenaeus, who we were talking about a while ago, that maybe a recapitulation of something that's been broken that's now put back together and now i'm just i'll hand it over to you see what you think about this but isn't that what the what adam and eve experienced first and foremost following their transgression is shame they cover themselves yeah no, it's really interesting. For, I'll say it's two things that come to mind uh, in connection with what we're saying is that even though I started out talking about kind of the broader connection of this passage to at least my understanding of this passage connected to the broader history of, of the people of Israel, taking on a more individual or personal spiritualized level, it, it definitely does connect to not so much repentance for sin, although that's part of it, but I'm definitely thinking about uh, ways in which um, the presence of God the living presence of God is connected to the plenty and the satisfaction, the the fullness of mm-hmm. of, of kind of the the the, the um, fulfillment. So there's the fulfillment of our needs, as you said in in verse 26, and the presence of of God, the living presence of God in 27. And those two seem to be really linked, uh, both uh, kind of leaning back toward what comes earlier in the passage of God making right and and repaying us for. All the ways in which things had not quite lined up before, though the the ways in which I mean, I can just say personally, and just for a lot of people I know, when you've gone through a, a time in your life, or it could be a long stretch, it could be your whole whole adult life for some of us, but you know, many ways in which you 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 stand at a moment in your life and you look back and you say, "What have I done with myself?" You know. I thought I was going to be in this place <laughs> yeah. in my life, and I don't know what happened. I'm not even close to where I thought I should be. Or I think about times when I didn't make good choices, or I made choices that made sense at the time. I look back and say, was that really the right thing to do? And you just feel like you've lost a whole chunk of your life. Um, sometimes, you know, with good intentions, sometimes just with bad choices. And the idea is that 
it's possible at any point in your life. I mean, again, taking this in a more uh, maybe um, um, applied in a broader sense, not not in the sort of historical sense, but but this idea that God is, and I know a lot of people read it this read this passage this way, that God is able to. Uh, kind of redeem the time that has passed. Even if we feel like we've wasted it, it's gone. I, I made the decision. So it's not just that God forgives our sin, but God can somehow kind of rehabilitate our lives to help us see a meaning and a purpose and a, a value to our to us and to our lives that is hard for us to discern when we're so caught up with the the ways in which the locust has destroyed all of the things mm. that we we intended, all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our uh, ideas of who we thought we were or we should be. And then you stand at this point, you say, things did not work out the, thing, the way I thought they were going to work out. And uh, it's so easy to fall into despair. But the idea that God is able to, that God even says in this context, and, and I will admit that I have claimed this for my life in many contexts, that God promises, I, you, we, some of us can take this as a promise, that God will repay us for the years that the locust has eaten, that God is able to restore our sense of who we are. And that it's not just a sense of, okay, you lost money and then God repaid, or, you know, you lost an opportunity and God will get, and not along those lines, but just in a sense of the meaning and value of who we are. But the way God does that is by the living presence of God in our lives, that for mm. God to be in the midst of who we are, in the midst of our assembly. And then for that, then to connect to what comes right afterwards, that and the then after on all flesh, exactly that. And then what does it mean to have the living presence of God in the midst of the people yeah. the is the Holy Spirit, again, reading us from a Christian perspective that is poured out on all flesh and. I just I so appreciate that that Joel and the 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 as I would say the Holy Spirit inspiring Joel had him specifically point out your sons and your daughters your old men the old and the young the sons and daughters uh, slaves as well as people who are presumably not just you know uh, mm-hmm. uh, described as slaves so you've got gender diversity you've got age diversity especially in a culture where. The elders are are were 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 um, uh, revered, and the young not so much, you know. And then that the the class differentials would be taken that that God is so encompassing, and so there's no situation of life that can separate us from being ones whom God desires to pour a God's spirit on. So the idea that the the presence of God is for us today at work through that living presence, that is how the restoration comes. That is how the new life, the new possibilities come. To me, that's just an extraordinary way that, um, that this passage is put together, reading it from kind of a contemporary Christian perspective. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Professors Andamikael and Idol, for looking at Joel with us. For a transcript of this episode and lots more Bible study resources, visit YaleBibleStudy.org and follow us on Twitter at BibleYale. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, and I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. Mixing on today's episode and our theme music are by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse, and Season. Season.